it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. Right COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's Wednesday, which means coming up in about an hour, we'll have our weekly roundtable with two hours of commentary and analysis about uh, uh, the last week in uh, politics and current events with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, joined uh, this week again um, we have uh, Mark Everson who served uh, as a high-ranking government official in two presidential administrations and he'll join us uh, by phone from Mississippi but uh, we start out today we actually pushed this back a week because we had a repeat last week and um Normally, the first Wednesday of each month, we uh, talk a little bit about the economy with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint, who joins me now by phone. Hi, Chris. Good morning. Hey, hey Tom. Great to be back. Um, you know, I was I was going to try and set this up a little bit, talking about uh, the the off again, the on again, off again nature of. Uh, COVID-19 restrictions. Um, how does that, that roller coaster that we seem to be on, schools are wrestling with this, are they going to open, are they going to end up closing in a couple months when we get into fall and, and potentially this variant surges, businesses have the same concern, are they going to face uh, 
new and different government restrictions or shutdowns how does that impact the economy overall that the the um, uncertainty of it all yeah it's a theme we've talked about before um, in different contexts but it's just that the economy hates uncertainty you know, we've talked about how the stock market hates uncertainty and with these on again off again covid restrictions it just increases uncertainty because people are unsure if schools will remain open if they'll go back to virtual, if you are a bar owner, restaurant owner, just an employer in the hospitality industry, hotels, another example, you don't know if there are going to be restrictions in the future or not uh, because we're going into the cold weather season here. Uh, we know that last fall cases rose in Michigan, and that introduced another round of restrictions. You know, Famously, there was the pause to save lives that started mid-November and went all the way until uh, basically February of 2021. So if you're a restaurant owner, you might be wondering, well, should I expand my operations, try to hire people? It's really hard to hire people right now, which means the people you hire, you have to pay more, which is an added expense. Um, should I hire those people with the possibility that well, I might have to shut down again? Or should I just try to maintain the status quo? Or if you're a parent who hasn't been working or been working intermittently during the pandemic, you might want to go back to working full-time, but you don't know if you can because there's a chance that uh, your kid's school might go back to being virtual. And that seems to happen at the drop of a hat. You know, a school will announce, well, hey, starting tomorrow, you know, we're going all online. So as a parent with that uncertainty, maybe you feel like you can't be going back to work. So all this uncertainty is really hindering the economic recovery. Uh, it's a big reason why total employment of the economy hasn't gotten back to where it was before COVID. Uh, the jobs report that was released um, last Friday was very disappointing. It showed that only about 250,000 jobs were created in August. Um, that was far under expectations, where the market expectation was, well, there'd be like 750,000 jobs created in August. But what, the, ex the market expectation by a factor of three. What about this, uh, this number that I've seen floated around? And I don't know how accurate it is, Chris. Maybe you've seen some numbers on this. But it, it hints that there are 10 million jobs that need filling and 8 million unemployed people. Is, uh, no, have you seen numbers accurate. like that? Yep, that's accurate. Uh, there's a record number of job openings right now. Um, so employers are just having a real hard time finding workers. It's almost like no matter who you talk to, um, that person cannot find workers, no matter what industry we're talking about. And I think the um, uncertainty about COVID restrictions is playing a role, You know, especially if you have kids. But you might feel like you can't take the risk of going back to work if your kid's school could shut down and your kids go back to learning virtually. If you have a kid in high school, maybe it's less of an issue, but if you have a kid in first or second grade, it's not like you could just leave him or her home by themselves um, for virtual learning. So, I mean, there's, I think, a lot of factors for why there's so many job openings and so many uh, people who are unemployed, but the uncertainty that we're talking about, I think, is playing a factor. Well, I would think that a lot of parents um, who were thinking about going back to work, unless they had a real strong pay incentive or, or other incentives for going back would be reluctant to go back to their hourly jobs for fear that 
either the business was going to shut down again in a couple of months or um, their kids were going to end up having to uh, uh, learn virtually and they would be at home and they'd end up having to stay home anyway. So I, I wonder if that isn't, uh, if those two different uh, components weigh pretty heavy in this, uh, in these 8 million people that are not going back to work. Oh, yeah, I think so, for sure. I think that's a big factor. And then as well as um, the enhanced unemployment benefits, which expired uh, just on the 4th. Um, but those enhanced unemployment benefits added $300 per week on top of the usual benefits. So the usual benefits were about $400 per week. So if you add up all the unemployment benefits, that's the equivalent of making about 17 bucks an hour working full-time. Well, you would be hard-pressed to go back to work for a job that's offering maybe 13 or 14 bucks an hour. Uh, we do have those benefits available on top of all the uncertainty that we've been talking about. Care. I think there's just a lot of factors in the economy that's really hindering people getting back to work. Care to venture a guess on how long it will take uh, uh, people that have lost those those additional benefits to feel the squeeze and, and get pushed back into the workforce? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's, <laughs> I think it's impossible to predict anything with COVID. Because <laughs> yeah, you know, when we talked, I know we talked even at the onset of the pandemic, and you know this is not where I predicted we would be in um, September 2021. Certainly, we're way ahead of where I would have predicted we would be in terms of a vac of a vaccine. But I would have thought back then, had a vaccine been available in September 2021, life would be back to normal. You know, the pandemic would be over. That hasn't been the case. So, kind of predicting how long it will take people to. Um, get back to work. That's tough because there's so many variables. You know, one variable is future restrictions, like we've been talking about. That's a big unknown. Another variable is, well, what about the usual unemployment benefits? I don't know if those are expiring um, or not. So it might be that the enhanced benefits expire, but people pair back their spending and um, continue to be unemployed and collect the usual benefits. Um, I don't know if that's a possibility or not because it depends on when those usual benefits expire. Um, so there's just so many unknowns, especially coming into the winter season. It's just impossible to know that when things will get back to normal. Another problem is, is that when you see big recessions like we saw with COVID, that pushes people into early retirement. You know, people who maybe were planning on retiring five years down the road decide that, well, this is a good time to retire because things are so lousy. So even when life gets back to normal, when COVID is behind us, we might find that there's just a smaller workforce now compared to what there was before COVID. And along that line, um, the working age population of the U.S. is beginning to decline. You know, the population that's aged 25 to 65, that's going down uh, because of the baby boomers aging out of the labor force and the birth rate being so low. So fewer new workers are replacing the workers who are retiring, which will put a further restriction on the labor supply. Now, I'm not sure where I where I saw this. Um, oh, yeah, it was in the Wall, uh, Wall Street Journal, and I don't know how legit this is, but is, is it true that El Salvador 
has become the first country to adopt Bitcoin as the national currency, or is that a spoof? Uh, no, that's correct. Um, they denoted Bitcoin legal tender, um, which really doesn't mean a ton. It means that merchants might be compelled to accept Bitcoin in transactions, although I'm not sure that that's the case. But mostly legal tender just means you can pay your taxes in it. So El Salvador will accept Bitcoin in payment of taxes. And the idea is, well, that gives people confidence to accept it for other transactions. But El Salvador is an interesting country in the sense that they haven't had their own currency for quite a while, I think like 2000 or 2001, because lots of countries um, find themselves unable to resist the temptation to just print money to pay for government expenditures, which causes inflation and people to lose confidence in the currency. So one thing governments will often do is say, well, to show you that we're not going to do this again, we'll just adopt the U.S. dollar for legal tender because we don't control the supply of dollars like we control the supply of our, of our own money. So El Salvador has actually been using dollars for their official currencies. Like I said, I think since the early part of the last decade. So adopting Bitcoin as legal tender is just kind of along those lines of El Salvador saying, well, we don't trust ourselves to control our own money supply. So we will use a different currency as legal tender, either dollars or now Bitcoin. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. Something about that story caught my eye and I thought, wait a minute, this is... This has got to be fake news, but but apparently it's on the up and up. Yeah, um, there's some problems with using Bitcoin, I think, in practice for legal tender. Uh, I think the biggest problem, I guess there are two big problems, I would say. Maybe the biggest problem is, is that the price of Bitcoin is so volatile. You know, one day it's worth 60000 per Bitcoin, one day it's worth 40000 per Bitcoin. So you get wide swings of what a Bitcoin is worth, and that makes people reluctant to spend it because... You know, if you're using Bitcoin for, say, groceries, you don't want to spend your Bitcoin where the price of Bitcoin is, say, you know, $40,000, um, because if you held on to that Bitcoin instead, maybe tomorrow it would be worth $60,000. So, you know, people are reluctant to spend a currency that just fluctuates so wildly in value. Whereas now, how would that work? <laughs> Obviously, you don't take a Bitcoin to the supermarket and hand the, the teller $40,000. Is this all um, virtual transactions? Yeah, so I believe that the government of El Salvador has an app that you could download. And apparently it, the app crashed because so many people tried to download it yesterday. Wow. Um, but So goods and services would be Either they could be priced in Bitcoin. Well, that's a problem because one Bitcoin is worth like $40,000. So you're going to have like these goofy prices that are fractions of Bitcoin. <laughs> where you go to buy a cup of coffee, it's like point, you know, zero, 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 one Bitcoin. Right. And those hey, little, Chris, yeah, I, I, yeah. I got to take a break here. Can you stand by for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Oh, sure. All right. Yep. My guest is uh, economist Chris Douglas, armchair politics, coming up in about an hour. Um, and we'll have more of uh, my conversation with Chris right after we take this short break. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue with today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And my guest this hour, economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan, Flint. Uh, Chris, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Hey, no problem. Great to be here. Just before the uh, break, Chris, we were talking about El Salvador uh, becoming the first country to adopt Bitcoin as a national currency. Um, and and if you wanted to, to talk a little bit more about that, but my, my question, I guess, going into this segment is, um, is El Salvador going to be the first of many? Do you see other countries maybe falling in line with this? Uh, it's hard to say. I don't think any, what you might call, de- developed countries will. I, I mean, I would expect the United States to, or Great Britain, or Japan, or one of those countries to adopt Bitcoin as the national currency, just because controlling the money supply is a very powerful function of the government. I mean, the, the United States government will never give up control of the U.S. money supply, and it'll never give up its monopoly power on the money supply. So I think the only countries you would see adopt Bitcoin are smaller countries that have had problems with inflation in the past and that they can't resist that temptation to just print money to pay for government expenditures. So they're looking for an outside currency to use to tie their hands with regards to the money supply so that people will be confident in their economies. So who knows? You know, Maybe you might see a smaller country adopt Bitcoin following El Salvador. But I think there are some practical problems with it, like we're talking about before the break, uh, like the price of Bitcoin fluctuating rapidly, you know, day to day. So are you willing to spend a Bitcoin today when the price is $40,000, when tomorrow the price might be back up to $60,000? Well, people are reluctant to do that because then you're just losing $20,000 on top of, you know, whatever price you paid for whatever good you bought. Um, and also, I think Bitcoin just takes a lot of energy to process transactions. You know, famously, it takes a lot of uh, energy to mine a Bitcoin, uh, but to, just to process the Bitcoin transaction along the blockchain takes a lot of energy as well. So, you know, for routine transactions, people might say, well, we don't really need all this information on the blockchain because the blockchain is just this public ledger that records all transactions used by a Bitcoin. So... You know, who cares that, you know, some random person used a Bitcoin to buy a cup of coffee? You know, we don't really need to waste a bunch of energy to put that transaction on the blockchain. So, you know, given the energy costs associated with processing Bitcoin transactions, you know, people might just say, I'll just stick to using dollars for routine transactions. So it might just be a gimmick more than anything to get people talking about El Salvador. Um, But who knows? We'll see. Because like we are talking about before the break, it's been really hard to predict the future lately. What's going on with the housing market now? Um, yeah, another interesting aspect of the economy. It seems like home sales might be cooling off a little bit, but the market still seems red hot and prices still seem extremely high. Um, I think this is just continuing on with COVID in the sense that before COVID, People used to enjoy living in cities because of all the amenities. Um, People would tolerate a 500-square-foot studio apartment to live in Manhattan, for instance. But with um, COVID restrictions, um, famously the shutdowns last year, and now the prospect of further restrictions um, into the future, 
as well as a lot of those amenities have gone out of business um, due to COVID. You know, a lot of independent um, restaurants, venues, shops that kind of made big city live, big city living worth living have gone. So people are saying, well, let's move out to the suburbs, let's move out to the country and you'll get some space. So I think that demand is continuing, which is continuing to make the housing market hot, as well as um, you know, keeping housing prices high. Um, so if you're an existing homeowner, uh, you might be surprised um, if you log out to Zillow and check your address to see what your house is worth. Well, there, so was, that, there was a headline on a piece in the uh, Wall Street Journal recently that said, Wall Street can't get enough fixer-upper houses. And I thought, well, how bad are things on Wall Street if they need fixer-upper houses? Yeah, I saw that too. Um, <laughs> I don't I even know what that means. Wall- yeah, I think it just means kind of run-down houses that you could buy for a song. I think that's the right term, or buy for a really low price, and then put some sweat equity into it and um, translated that into real equity. And I think there's a shortage of fixer-uppers because those fixer-uppers are in hot demand. You know, if you're working at home, you, you might have the opportunity to put some sweat equity into a house. So I think there's just a shortage of houses across the board. Um, part of that also is being driven by supply constraints and the fact that um, new home starts got hit really hard um, early in the pandemic when construction um, got shut down for the better part of a month. And then material prices are through the roof. So um, if you want to build a house right now, you're going to be paying through the roof for you know things like two-by-fours. Well, lumber's come back down pretty significantly. It's still higher than it was pre-pandemic, but it's not right. as high as it peaked. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's down from its peak, but it's still really high. So it's down from like Mount Everest to, I don't know, Mount McKinley. I, I don't know what the right metaphor is, but it's, <laughs> it's still really high, so... You know, if you were paying X for a new house to be built before the pandemic, well, now you're paying X plus Y. And then I'm sure, like everyone, home builders are having a tough time finding workers. So all those factors are, you know, putting a constraint on new housing starts. And what's also interesting is when you look at new housing starts, that never recovered from the Great Recession a dozen years ago. So a lot of home builders got wiped out of the Great Recession. Um, so new home starts go from record a record high to a record low. And the recovery had been so low that even before COVID, fewer new homes are being built each year compared to, say, 2007. So like all those factors are just causing the market to be red hot and prices to be high. And that's a problem. It's great if you're a homeowner, but maybe not so great in the sense that it becomes very difficult to move. If you have a, a job opportunity in a different city or a different state, in normal times, you would just put your house on the market, sell it, and you'd go buy something in the new city. Well, from what I can, well, from what I can tell in lots of cities, it's almost impossible to buy a house because they're just bidding wars for houses where a house goes on the market. You might have 20 people submit a bid, and then the house gets sold to the bidder who's paying you know fifty, dollars $100,000 over asking. So you might be hesitant to say, put your house on the market in the Flint area because you have a job opportunity in, say, Denver, because moving to Denver means trying to buy a house in Denver, and that seems to be largely impossible, or if you're able to find a house that you could buy it with that bidding war, the price is just so inflated that you just can't afford it, even if your new job pays more than your existing job. 
So these housing market issues caused the labor market to operate a whole lot less efficiently. And that was a problem a dozen years ago with the Great Recession. Um, but the problem a dozen years ago was people were underwater with their houses. Housing prices were too low. Well, and, and the bottom could, kind of fell out of the housing market. That was a contributing uh, uh, event for that Great Recession, wasn't it? Yeah, because you know, if you bought your house for $200,000 and now it's worth 150000 if you sell for $150,000, you don't have enough to pay off the mortgage, which makes it almost impossible to move to a different city for a job opportunity, unless you just have $50,000 of cash to cover the difference, which most people don't have. I certainly wouldn't have that. So when you have housing prices fluctuate, either on the high end, like we're seeing right now, or on the low end, like we saw a dozen years ago, you know that causes problems with the labor market because it makes workers a whole lot less mobile. Your workers are unable to go where the jobs are. And that might be a factor that's holding down the labor market recovery um, right now with COVID, amongst all the other factors we talked about before the break, like um, child care issues, uncertainty about future restrictions, unemployment benefits, and so forth. So it just seems like there's so much of the economy right now that's not working properly, if you will. What are the things that you've been monitoring um, in the last three or four weeks with the economy? What's, what's it doing, and, and what are the things that it's reacting to? Yeah, so the indicators I pay attention to um, are first total employment. How many jobs are there nationwide, or maybe more specifically, how many people are working nationwide? I'm watching that to see when that gets back to where it was before COVID, meeting February 2020. And still the economy has a lot fewer jobs now compared to back then, where there's something like, you know, 8 million um, fewer jobs in the economy now um, compared to back then. Uh, so we have all these job openings. Um, if those job openings would be filled, you know, we would get back to where we were before COVID. So I'm watching to see when that happens. Because that'll be a big signal that, you know, things are starting to return back to normal. Also, the rate of inflation, um, the consumer price index comes out monthly. So you can see how the consumer price index changed this month compared to last month to see what the rate of inflation is. And currently, that's running at about 6%, so you know, three times higher than the you know, last 25-year average. So um, those are two factors I pay attention to, consumer sentiment um, that's measured monthly to see what consumers are feeling about the economy. Um, that took a hit back in August. Um, it had rebounded into the summer as the vaccine was becoming widely available. So if consumers are feeling pessimistic about the economy, well, that's a sign that, well, maybe things are either not good or are gonna be not good um, in the coming few months. Um, I also pay attention to how many people go through Transportation Security Administration checkpoints on a daily basis, um, just to see when that rebounds to its um, pre-COVID level. So pre-COVID, you'd have about 2.5 million people go through a checkpoint every day. Um, that rebound quite a bit this summer. So you have nearly 2 million people going through checkpoints during the summer season, but that's starting to taper off. So I guess I look at lots of different things, mostly just to see well, when do we start to get back to that February 2020 baseline? And we kind of make progress towards it, and then the progress tends to dissipate. 
And one other thing I look at, too, is it's not really an economic factor, but maybe just a predictor about where this country might be going is what are other countries doing in terms of their COVID restrictions, um, in terms of any sort of mandate for like vaccines. Uh, you know, one thing that's a little bit disconcerting is Australia is at like a crazy lockdown right now. Um, so is New Zealand. And you say, well, that's a country that looks a lot like the U.S. in terms of its economy. It's a um, developed country like the U.S. So if, if Australia is going to a crazy lockdown, is that something we have to worry about two or three months down the road? Because I think there's lots of people in the U.S. who are policymakers who probably would like to do that. So that uncertainty, I think, makes things real tough in terms of an economic recovery. And there's there's a report that the uh, trade deficit narrowed in July as a result of of weaker demand for imports. Is uh, how much of an impact is that, or does that go up and down month to month? And is that weaker demand actually weaker demand, or are people maybe turning to homegrown goods yeah i don't pay close attention to the trade deficit month to month just because it's big and has been big ever since i can remember it's almost like the budget deficit it's like big and it's always going to be big although i pay close attention to the budget deficit just because it was big before covid and now it's like three times as big which is worrisome to say the least but the trade deficit has it and massive movements like that, so I pay less close attention. Um, if I had to speculate what's driving the reduction of the trade deficit, it's just supply chain issues. Um, famously, there are shortages of computer chips for new automobiles. So that's why you, know, you talk to dealerships and they have such a limited supply of new cars on the lot. Um, I think there's a dealership in the Genesee County area, I forget which one, that only had at one point in time one brand new car on the lot. And those computer chips are largely imported from China. So if computer chips are unavailable, well, there's nothing to import, and that'll make the trade deficit lower. So I think just shortages of things like that are driving the reduction of the trade deficit. Um, it would be interesting to see what the trade deficit would be um, if there's no computer chip shortage and auto companies could get all the chips they wanted. And I think these shortages are going to be a problem going forward. Um, I read an article on CNBC recently that suggested that auto companies think that this might persist into 2024. Well, that's <laughs> that's three years down the road. So are we going to have shortages, you know, three, four, five years down the road? If so, that suggests that, you know, things aren't getting back to normal really anytime soon, which is, you know, disconcerting to say the least. Well, speaking of... of Getting back to normal, the um, Social Security, uh, there are estimates that um, it's expected to uh, um, spend more than it takes in in 2021, um, largely because of, of COVID-19 and, and uh, the economic downturn that occurred during that, that last year. Um, is is that a, a temporary thing? Some people are saying that it it didn't uh, um, that it that it wasn't nearly as much as uh, some forecasters originally feared. 
No, it's a permanent thing. So I saw that too. So um, not only is Social Security taking in fewer tax dollars of what it's paying out, but the date that the trust fund is projected to go bust moved up a year. I think from 2034 to 2033, but maybe it was from 2033 to 2032. Um, so in terms of the Social Security Administration taking fewer tax dollars in compared to what's paying out, that's probably due to COVID, people retiring earlier and collecting Social Security earlier than what was forecasted, like we talked about before the break. Um, also, if wages fell um, due to COVID, um, since taxes are based on the wages someone earns, that's going to push down tax uh, revenues. But um, Social Security taking in fewer tax dollars just means the difference is covered through the federal budget deficit. So that just adds to the national debt. Um, actually, it doesn't add a net to the national debt because the Social Security has a trust fund, which is allegedly savings the Social Security Administration has built up over time to cover moments like this where it begins to pay out more benefits than what it's collecting in taxes. Well, the Social Security Trust Fund is just invested, if you will, in treasury bonds. So treasury bonds are just part of the national debt. So um, the Social Security Administration's trust fund is already part of the national debt. So they're just kind of, if you will, cashing in those treasury bonds it has. So the federal government is paying back those treasury bonds and they're just borrowing to cover what it's paying back. So if that makes sense. Then some of the national debt's being transferred from the Social Security Administration to the federal government. Chris, uh, what, what has to happen to prevent Social Security from going bust in 12 years? Uh, raise taxes or cut benefits. I mean, that's, that's a pretty simple formula. Either cut expenditures or raise revenue, but that, there's not going to be much appetite for that. But every fix you hear for Social Security just involves one of those two broad categories because you hear people talk about raising the retirement age. Well, that's just cutting benefits if you allow people to collect for a shorter amount of time. People talk about raising the threshold um, under which wages are subject to the Social Security payroll tax. I forget exactly what the threshold is right now because it varies. I mean, it, it increases every year based on inflation. And my salary is so low that I'm in... That's not that low, but um, <laughs> I'm in no danger of hitting the threshold. That's what I meant. So I don't have to worry about it. But it's like, I don't know, $200,000 where after $200,000, future earnings on top of that is not subject to the Social Security tax. Um, you, people talk about raising that threshold maybe to half a million or something or just eliminating it and saying all wages are subject to Social Security taxes. Well, that's just raising taxes. It's raising taxes on upper-income people, but it's just a tax increase. So just some sort of benefit cut or some sort of tax increase is what has to happen to prevent Social Security from going busted 12 years. But it's important to note that going bust doesn't mean checks stop. Right? People's Social Security checks won't go to zero in 12 years. If nothing else changes, enough Social Security taxes will be paid in 12 years to pay out something like 70% of promised benefits which means while well, people's checks wouldn't fall to zero, they would just be cut by 30%, which is still a big problem since so many people live on Social Security as their sole source of income. Probably what would happen is, well, that 30% difference would just be covered by the federal government, which would just go on to our budget deficit, get tacked onto the national debt, just like everything else. 
And you were so talking. I tend to think. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I tend to think that, like any sort of projected shortfall um, in terms of you know promised benefits or um, tax revenues being insufficient to cover some sort of government spending, just gets tacked onto the national debt forever until the federal government can't do that any longer. Should we be watching the uh, the surging cases of uh, COVID nineteen? Um, hammering Asian factories as uh, uh, potential for boosting uh, consumer goods prices for shoes and cell phones and stuff? Oh, yeah, I think for sure. Um, boosting consumer prices and causing shortages for various consumer goods. You know, shortages for things that are made in Asian factories, like computer chips, uh, like we're talking about, you know, shoes, clothing, you know, various electronics. Uh, you know, the global supply chain is uh, is uh, engineered for efficiency. And, you know, 20, 25 years ago, people figured out, well, hey, it's just a more efficient supply chain to have consumer goods manufactured in Asia where wages are low and transoceanic shipping costs are really low. So it's really efficient to make stuff in Asia, ship them on container ships to the U.S., offload them, and sell those goods to consumers at low prices. Well, that works great, I suppose, when things are working well, but I don't think anyone took a step back and said, well, what if you know, what if the global supply chain gets disrupted uh, because of something like a pandemic? Well, what do we do then? Well, I think it's pretty clear that there was never a contingency plan, so <laughs> I think right. an, efficient, an efficient supply chain is just a real fragile supply chain. It's what, not really robust to shocks like a pandemic. What can the average person do to, I don't know, help boost the economy? Uh, unfortunately, not a whole lot. Um, go get vaccinated. That's the biggest <laughs> thing. Um, anyone who can get vaccinated now can, right? And the vaccine's widely available. So, yeah, you know, get your shot and, you know, that'll keep cases down. Um, lowering cases gives the government less of an excuse to impose restrictions, future shutdowns, other restrictions. So, that will certainly help the economy because that's the big reason why the economy is in the shape that it's in right now. But I think that's yeah, the, the biggest thing. Um, go get inoculated against COVID-19. Uh, well, because people talk about breakthrough infections. I think the media has been real irresponsible about talking about those because, sure, they happen because no vaccines were 100% effective. So if you vaccinate you know, 300 million people, you know, some cases are going to slip through, and the media just reports those cases nonstop, so people get the misleading impression that, well, the vaccine's not working because look at all these people who are getting sick who have their shots. Well, one person getting sick with a shot ignores the fact that there's 100 million people with a shot who did not get sick. And also, if you have your shot and get sick, it's going to be a head cold. It's going to be an annoying head cold, and you'll be fine. There's always exceptions, but that's the rule. Well, Chris, as so think, always, the time has just gone flying by, and we're going to have to uh, have to end it there. But but hopefully, I'll, uh, I'll I'll get to talk with you again um, the first Wednesday in next month, which I think is the sixth. Yeah, it's hard to believe that we'll be talking Halloween by then. But I guess it's October, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, exactly. Well, Chris, thanks so much. Take care. Hey, you're welcome. Great talking to you as always. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. 
If you're listening to us on 92.1, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in. We'll be right Hi, back. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bai from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org. 
or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Summer Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Went by to see my minister yesterday. You know what my minister told me? He was saying how much pressure women are under from the devil and how the devil just hounds women. You know, that's rough too, being a minister. I mean, he told me, he said, you're coming here complaining about your problems and I gotta wage this constant battle against the devil. I said, yeah, Rev. He told me his wife came in the house a few days before and she had this box. And on the side of this box was written the name of a very exclusive dress shop, the lowest dress, which was $85. That was on sale. (laughs) So she walks in the house and Rep says, another dress? You want another dress? This is ridiculous. That's the third dress this week. And his wife tells him, the devil made me, me, made me buy it, me, me buy it. The devil made me buy this, buy this. The devil tells him. And his wife tells him. And his wife tells him. The devil made me buy it. The devil. The This was another Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
Okay. 